Well, good morning, church. I'm excited to be here with you this morning. If you're a guest with us, our pastor Ray is on a sabbatical, so he'll be out for the month of July, but I'm glad you stayed, and please don't get up and leave because it'll hurt my feelings uh, if you do, but we are so glad that you're here and that you have joined us here today at Ridgecrest. You know, I was, I was looking through Twitter, and Twitter told me today that we're 41 days away from something that is incredibly important to people in the South. Does anybody know what that is? College football. College football. When, uh, when I was in Monroe, Louisiana, uh, before I came here, I'm your newest staff member, recycled over twice, and uh, we had the opportunity to be a part of Fellowship of Christian Athletes on uh, the campus of the University of Louisiana at Monroe. So I was uh, there with a, it's a Division I school in the Sun Belt Conference, plays against Troy, had the opportunity to work with their coaches and athletes, but I had never experienced things behind the scenes on the college level. I had always worked uh, here when I was here for 10 years, nine years of that I spent as a football chaplain with Northview. And uh, so going to the college level, I was seeing things from a whole new perspective, especially in a Division I situation. And, and behind the scenes, you find that that football season is really never over. Even though we may say it's 41 days away, actually 11 months out of the year, uh, football players and coaches are working. And even on their breaks, all of our guys had homework assignments that they had to do in their nutrition, in their strength, and in their conditioning to be ready so that they wouldn't be behind. It was a 12-month commitment, so college football never stopped for them. And, and some of the things, I, I learned so many things being on that campus and being behind the scenes watching college athletes, and namely with football because I spent more time with them than, than anybody. And, and what I found was there was a relentless pursuit of excellence. Uh, we never really achieved excellence, but there was a pursuit of it. And uh, there was also, there's a repetition of details. You see, if you go to college as a college athlete, and this is starting to trickle down into high schools, especially larger high schools, you, you had uh, nutrition, that you had a certain way that you have to eat. You have uh, strength and conditioning in the weight room. You have the film room. You have team meetings. You have study hall. All of these different things that, that came together to form the Division I athlete. And in all of that, coaches were working year-round to find recruits and to go and, and try to win a recruit from another school that could even just help in one situation – one weakness from the year before or one weakness they see in the schedule coming up in the next year. It was fascinating to me. There was just a relentless every day pursuing excellence, every day trying to find a way to get better, every day measuring everything. And then this, this repetition, when we would go on the road and, and we would be at the hotel, I would notice that everything was repeated over and over and over again. You would go to a team meeting before you left and I would stand in the back and, and uh, they would tell them the details for this next game. This is what you have to do. This is how we're going to do it. This offense we're running. These are the plays that we have and we're going to do it that way. So you get to the hotel and that night before we're in a team meeting. Guess what? Same thing. And, and same thing again. It's almost like going and watching a preacher that only has one sermon and you watch him at different places. You say, no wonder it's so good. 
He only practices the same one. Well, they, they had this detail, this repetition, and I thought that was fascinating. That even up to game time, they talked about, now you know the things we've talked about, and I'm going, if you don't know, I mean, come on. We've talked about it all season. You see, an average play between the whistles in football is four seconds. A lot of time and effort is given to prepare these athletes for split-second decisions. I mean, 11 months, every day. Kids think they want to go and be a Division I athlete until they find out you've got to be up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and it, and it goes until 10 o'clock at night. The, it's a multi-million dollar business in your business property. But it's all about four seconds in between each play. And it got me to thinking, what would happen in our daily walk as followers of Jesus if we approached our preparation this way? The way that the coaches and the, and the athletes do in these colleges. You see, what, what would happen in your walk and my walk if, if we went to the film room of our life and we looked at the performance of the day before and, and we were able to pinpoint things that we don't want to do again and, and that we need to make course correction in and actually did film room on ourselves? What would happen if we actually went to the weight room and, and under the weight that you're carrying and you brought in here, instead of buckling under that weight, you found ways to get around it or above that weight or you grabbed people around you who could help you with the weight and the anxiety in your life. What about going and seeing sports medicine? They have to do that every day. They have to check in with a trainer. What if you were to do that and check in with Jehovah Rapha in your life and say, God, these are the areas where I'm hurting. These are the areas where I'm weak. God, I, I need your healing in this area. What if we checked in and had the, the audacity to share with God every day our hurts, our needs to have him help us? What about a complete dedication to team meetings? You know, it seems like the same thing over and over again. I asked somebody one time when I was pastoring a church, I said, I said, how long do you have to go to Sunday school before you get your Ph.D.? And, what, and the man said, he said, man, I've been going all my life and I still haven't gotten there. This is a hard dissertation program in Sunday school. It's just, just repetitive, but it's good for us. It obviously pays dividends, and that's what I want to talk to you about. If you're taking notes today, the bottom line for all of us is this. My daily decisions... My daily decisions determine the success or the failure of my split-second discipleship. You see, with everything that you do every day to prepare yourself, when, when the moment comes that, that you need to stand up for Jesus Christ and be who he wants you to be and, and respond in the right attitude with the right effort, for us to be able to do that, we really, we really build that in our daily, everyday decisions. You see, around here uh, several years ago when I was doing uh, education work, we went through the Disciples Cross, and I, I think it's a, a great study in Master Life, and, 
and it talks about these spiritual disciplines that you and I need that we need to exercise every day. And, and, and you know these disciplines probably if you've been walking with the Lord, but, but what do we do with them? We talk about abiding in Christ, John 15, 5, that the center of everything in my life is to stay close to Jesus. We use this statement, stay clean and close to Jesus. And if I'm abiding in him and in my heart, I'm giving my heart to him and I'm choosing every day to walk in him. That's a great habit to say, I want to abide. I want to settle in on Jesus. We talk about uh, living in the word, not just reading the word, but living in it, allowing it to penetrate my life and, and everything that I do, praying in faith. You see, a lot of us pray, but we pray in the hope that, that maybe God's listening. We're not praying with faith, believing that God's already working. So we need to pray in faith and witness to the world. And also we need to fellowship with other believers. We need each other. So it's not that we don't know what we ought to do. It's why aren't we doing it? If we know we need to spend time, we need to stay close to Jesus. If we know we need to pray, we need to live in the word. We need to be sharing our faith with other people. And we need to be fellowshipping with each other. Why, why don't we daily make a commitment to say, we're going to do that. And that requires individual commitment, but it also requires a commitment of each one of us to each other. You see, it's, it's in this background that, that Paul writes a letter to the church at Philippi. You see, the, the church at Philippi was the first church that he established in Europe. And, and you, you really need to know the context here because Paul is writing them from jail. And that's important because for many of us, if our circumstances were jail, we would tell God, you can write your own letter. But not with Paul. Paul stayed focused to what it was that God had called him to do. He wasn't dead yet. And that's an important thing for all of us in this room. There is no retirement plan in, in the kingdom. I'm not dead yet. And if I'm dead, I'm fully alive in him. Amen. So I'm just going to keep on living. And I'm going I'm to choose this victory in him. Well, we look at this background of, of Philippians. And, and it's from that background that you have to think about the fact that this is the first church that he established. They also know that he's in jail. And he's writing back to them to give a report to say, hey, it's okay. Because I'm sure they were discouraged. He was the man of God to them. He was the one that had the answers that established them in the faith. And now he's in jail preparing for his death. Why? Because he's a Christian. He's going to die for his faith. And it's easy for, for all of us to get off track when somebody we put on a pedestal uh, spiritually is not where we thought they would be. We, we begin to waver. And so he writes this letter and and in this letter, he gives them some things that I think will help us today in our split-second discipleship. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. If you're physically able, will you stand with me this morning? I'm so glad you're here. God, give us a word, we pray. And this is a letter. This letter is being written from jail, writing to the church. So this is to, written to Christians. And this is what he says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind in, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Father, today, through the reading of your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would stir our hearts, stir our minds. Lord, visit us today. Lord, we want to be ready in those split-second moments where our discipleship needs to, to move forth in a, in a dark, dark culture that desperately needs you. Lord, help us, we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Two things that I want you to see today in your notes. The first is, is this. If we're going to really be ready for split-second discipleship, if we're going to prepare ourselves with daily decisions that are going to bring success in those moments where we need to stand up for Jesus Christ, where we need to show our witness and our resolve to follow him, the, the first thing that I want you to, to do is to change the way you think. Change the way you think. You see, Paul's talking to the church here at Philippi, and he says, listen, there's, there's a lot going on in our thoughts, isn't there? I mean, most of the battle, if not all of the battle, it's, it's right here in the way we think. And, and you know that right now because you have a million things that will go through your mind. And, and some of it is good and some of it not so good. And, and it's just relentless, and sometimes it's, it runs and runs and runs, and you try to run from it, and it just keeps coming back. Is it just me, or is that you too? Okay, seven of us. The rest of you need to wake up now. All right? He says in this moment, in verse 1 and 2, if there's anything, look at verse 1 and 2. He says, if there's any kind of love, if there's any kind of of comfort, if there's any kind of affection. He's saying, listen, if there's a possibility, he's talking to the church and he says, if there's anything to work with in you, he's not saying that, that right now in this moment you're completely sold out because he's writing to a people who are troubled. He's writing to a people who are shaky. He's writing to a people that have a lot of questions. So he's not trying to get them to, at this point, total surrender. He's just saying, if there's anything to work with, if there's any possibility, then there's a probability. So he says, if these things, if there's any of these things, he said, now make my joy complete. How do we do that? How do we do that? He tells the church, listen, by being of the same, by being the same, I want you to look around. I want you to look around the room. I get the opportunity to do this every Sunday. There's not a whole lot of same in here. Not a whole lot of same. There's a lot of different people from different walks of life, right? Uh, some of us actually um, come from, from homes that, that have always been in church, and some of us just became Christians. Some of us are from Dothan, Alabama, always lived here in the Wiregrass area. Some of us from literally around the world. So how is it same? It's not same by the outside appearance. It's same by the way we think. 
He's saying here, listen, make my joy complete by having the same mind, same love of one mind. He says, listen, the same mind and the same love. You need to be willing to think the same way. And you need to be willing to love each other in the same way. He's letting them know you cannot live the Christian life alone. I want you to look at your neighbor. I know this may be odd for you, but I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you need me. I see some wives out there saying, you need me more than I need you, right? You need me, right? We need each other. Listen, the toughest thing about that COVID season was isolation, and the devil loves isolation. He loves for us to get off in a corner by ourselves because that's where he does the most damage. And, and, and if you're anything like me, I don't like to cheer up people that try to get me out of my bad day. If I'm having a bad day, I want to have a bad day. But God gave me a cheerleader. And I've been married to her long enough that I don't even tell her when I'm having a bad day. I just fake it till I make it. Right? Why? Because we need each other. We need to have the same ability to walk this life and to be committed to each other. But I want you to see in verse 5 that Paul is telling the church that you already have all you need to change the way you think. Man, this is encouraging. He says, have this mind among yourselves. Yourselves, that's all of us. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's not because of anything we do. It's not even because of, of books we may read, any of that stuff. It is because of Jesus Christ that we have the ability to have a renewed mind. Isn't that awesome? We have the ability to change our thoughts. And people say, well, you don't know what I've been through. It doesn't matter. You have the opportunity right now to change the way you think about anything. You walked in here with all kinds of opinions about all kinds of things. And some of those opinions are right on. And some of those opinions, nobody's willing to tell you, but they're really out in left field. You know? But he's saying, listen, you can change the way you view things. Why? Because of Christ. Zig Ziglar, the great motivational speaker, said, we all need a daily checkup from the neck up to avoid, I love this, stinking thinking, right? To avoid stinking thinking. He said, which ultimately leads to a hardening of the attitudes. And you see, when my attitude becomes hard, I don't want to be around you. I start slipping out of church. I stop coming to connection group. I stop, I stop doing ministry. What I once was, I'm not anymore. Why? Because I've allowed stinking thinking to take over. And I, I, put a, I put a fence around myself thinking it's just me and you, Jesus. But we need to read what Paul is telling this church that's struggling and hear him say, you need to press in to the discipleship of doing life with each other and finding a way to be unified in your love and in your care. You see, he wrote another letter in uh, the letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, they'll be on the screen there for you to see. It says, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them. What, what's made them ignorant? Due to the hardness of their heart. 
They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your... Oh, y'all already falling asleep on me. Hello. In the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. How are we going to be like God? By living the right way and being holy, set apart for him. So he tells the church at Ephesus, we're the church here in Dothan. He, he says to them, listen, you've got to take off your old self and put on the new. Some of you have somebody that loves you enough like I do. I, I've got grown children that, that they have no problem telling me or Sharon Certain clothes that we put on that that's not cool anymore. That's some old, that's old stuff. Now, we get the last laugh because old's coming back, amen? <laughs> old's coming back. That vintage stuff that they, man, I don't have to go to a thrift store to get it. It's in my closet. I've been wearing it for 20 years. But he's talking about here's something that we can understand. There's an old way we used to live. There's an old way we used to think. He said, but listen, you're not that person anymore. So you have to take off that old stuff. And it's a daily decision for me to take off the old way I used to respond to things, the old way I used to think about things. He says, listen, split-second discipleship demands that you change the way you think and transform the way you live. That's the second point I want you to see today. Transform the way you live. Paul goes on in this, this little section of his letter and he shows the disciples' motivation. What should motivate you and me? And he shows it in verses three and four if you're reading along in your Bible. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, don't ever let your motivation be you. I'm motivated by me. And boy, that's hard in today's culture, isn't it? With social media and everything that we deal with, everybody's promoting themselves. And anybody can become famous even if they don't know what they're talking about. Have you noticed that? Everybody, I really think we all ought to have a test that tells us your social media based on your, your uh, way that you think is only in your city. You're not allowed to have friends outside of your city. Don't you think that would be good? Your Facebook is localized. And then people that maybe have a, a little more ability to think yours is national or yours is international. But no, everybody is international with whatever they say. And because it's posted, everybody begins to think, well, that must be true. And it could be a complete lie. You see, the disciple's motivation is not myself, not my own selfish ability. He says here, instead... In humility, count others more significant than yourself. So the disciples' motivation is others. Look at your neighbor and say, others first. Others first. That's our motivation. You see, now that's very different. That's transforming the way you live. Because transforming the way I live, I may see a parking place 
at the front of Walmart. Now, some of you need that front space. I've seen, I've seen how, how difficult it is for you, but not for me. Some of us need to take the back of the lot and get a walk in. That's what we need to do. I need to do others first. I've seen people cut people off to try to get into Walmart. And I'm like, trust me, your experience you're about to have is not that good. You know, it's okay. I mean, really, it's okay. Others first. He says, listen, you need to humble yourself to put them above you. He shows the disciples' purpose in verses 6 and 7. My, if my motivation is you first, others first, then, then what is my purpose? He says here that he did not, even though he is God, he didn't consider equality. Well, you've heard that preached here, so I don't, I don't need to talk about that. But I want to look at verse 7. He said he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Now I'm about to tell you something that really convicted me. I was, I was going through a difficult time. And I was feeling disrespected. Anybody in here ever felt disrespected? I mean, you're trying to do the right thing. Only three of us. Bless the Lord. I am in a utopia. Some of you are afraid if you raise your hand, the Holy Spirit might get a hold of you, I guess. I don't know. But, yeah, there's three of us that have felt disrespected. So we're going to tell you what that, what that feels like. It feels disrespectful. How about that? I, I just want people to notice. I just want somebody to say thank you. And I was having one of those moments. And a coach, our baseball coach, he could see it on me. We were having this event, and it wasn't going like I wanted it to go. And their practice was running over and blah, 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 this, that, and the other. And he's a Christian coach there at ULM. And uh, he, he came over to the side, and he told me, he said, you know what I've learned and I said, what's that? He said, uh, Brother Aaron, I've learned you never know how much of a servant you are until somebody treats you like one. Let that, let that settle in on you. And then I read this passage where Paul says, listen, don't, don't get so caught up in yourself and your own needs and your own desires, your own. And in America, that's hard, isn't it? Because everything is about me. But he said, no, not for the Christian. We're, we're kingdom citizens. And Paul's helping the church to see, listen, your purpose is to serve, to go last, to open the door for others, not slam the door on them. Wow. But, but if I live that way, won't I miss out on some opportunities? Not if God's in control, because he already has your opportunities written in his book. How many times do we allow our, our joy to be robbed because we're not thinking with a servant's heart? We're thinking with a me mentality. Paul here in this passage says, listen, he emptied himself. Now, do you think that's a one-time thing that you do at vacation Bible school when you're seven years old? No, 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 no. I have to empty myself every day, sometimes multiple times a day. I didn't get it right the first time with Jordan. So Sharon had this great idea, let's try a Maddie. So we tried a Jordan and a Maddie. And then after that, I, I still didn't get it. So we tried a Josh. So now we had a Jordan, Maddie, and a Josh to try to learn how to be a servant. I still didn't get it. So then we added an Andrew. So then it was a Jordan, Maddie. 
Josh and Andrew. We couldn't go the places we used to go, couldn't do the things we used to. I don't even remember what we did before we had kids. I still don't know. I'm not sure. We just went away for the weekend, and, and it was so quiet. Uh, where we stayed, Sharon was like, I really miss our kids. And I'm like, wow, what has happened to us? We emptying out the nest, and she won't fill it back up. Not with new ones, but, I mean, <laughs> not going there. But six years later, because we still didn't get it, we added an Aubrey. You see, parenting a lot of times is a good way to learn how to serve because they're dependent on you. But he's showing this because that's the way we're supposed to be with each other in the body of Christ. Imagine how the climate of the local church would change in America if we didn't build it on us, but built it on the people who were not a part of us that needed Jesus. And not on my needs being met, but your needs being met first. Man, Paul knew what he was doing because he knew he was about to die. And he's casting a vision for this church to say, hey, you've got to get this right. So he shows the disciples success in verse 8. He says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Our success is becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. To daily pick up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow him. You see, the real question is, are you a carrot, are you an egg, or are you a coffee bean? Got a friend that wrote a book called The Coffee Bean. His name is John Gordon, and, and uh, I love it because it's not a very long book. And, and it's, he's written a children's version, too. I think everybody in here ought to read it. It's just a simple, a simple book that we've used with a lot of our athletes over the years. And it talks about how uh, the boiling water is the outside influence. And we all, in this life, deal with boiling water, don't we? And, and we, we all are affected by the boiling water of our circumstances. Finances, relationships, health, on and on the, the system and the, the list goes, right? And he says, if you're a carrot, a carrot starts out pretty strong, but you put a carrot in boiling water and what does a carrot become? Soft and weak. So he says, if, if you're a carrot, you're a person that when the circumstances get tough, you, you back off and you become soft and weak. You get mowed over. He said, but then there's, there's also the egg who has this outer shell of, of everything being okay, but you're soft and you're, you're moldable and everything is, is good on the inside. You, you, you're still able to, to be used and, and, and goodness flows out of you. But, the, but what happens with the boiling water of life is... It hardens you, so even when you break the shell, it's your heart on the inside. Your heart's become hard because of the circumstances that you faced, and you just haven't handled the way that Paul's talking about here, and it's, it's made you tough and hard and put a fence around your heart. He said, but the difference is the coffee bean. He said, you put a coffee bean into boiling water, and it's the one thing of the three that changes the atmosphere of the water. Instead of letting the water change it, it changes the water and makes coffee. You see, I think for a lot of us, we've allowed this world to just weigh on us. 
We've allowed our circumstances to just cause us really to just, the win for us is making it to church on Sunday. But through the week, we're just hanging on. And Paul didn't want us to be that way. He didn't want the church to, to get caught up in all of the difficulties. So in Romans 12, 1 and 2, you've read this before. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, talking to Christians, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's taking off the old, putting on the new. It's the same theme across the church at Philippi, the church at Ephesus, the church in Rome, which is also the same theme for us today. If you see something repetitive, it's, it's for us today. He says, you're transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, and testing is going to come. Testing has to happen. It's by testing that we can discern what the will of God is and we can exercise what we talked about earlier today, getting in that film room and studying our life and what we need to change and going to the, the sports medicine, to the trainer and saying, God, I'm hurting in this area. I need you to help me to heal. All of those things, he says, listen, if you want to know what good, what is good and acceptable and perfect, you're going to have to put in the work. A lot of us are praying for God to do things he's already completed through Jesus Christ. He's just waiting for us to do the work. Split-second discipleship demands that you change the way you think and transform the way you live. Two questions at the bottom of your notes there. What do you find yourself thinking about? What dominates your thoughts? Have you put off the old self and are you actively renewing your mind to change the way you think? How do we do that? You say, boy, that sounds good, but how do we do that, Brother Aaron? Well, Paul wrote another letter to the church, and it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, and this is what it says. It'll be on your screen. It says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. It's work, isn't it? I'm not telling you anything today that's not going to require you to work at it, but it will deliver you. You're going to have the same thoughts when you leave here today, but you have an opportunity to say, I am changing the way I think about that. Your circumstances may be the same, but through Christ, I'm going to take it obedience to Christ, and I'm going to say, man, God's got this. I'm laying it at his feet. It doesn't have to steal my joy because my joy is in him, not in my circumstances. I'm changing the boiling water around me. Amen? Man. Second question. Does the way you choose to live magnify Jesus? John was best friend of Jesus. And at 1 John 1, 6 and 7, it says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You see, a lot of people in our culture, they want to put it off on God. God's not good. God has done these things to me. God hadn't allowed. No, he says, if we choose to walk in darkness, we're the ones that are the problem. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So if we stay in the light, God help me to stay in the light. You want to stay away from sin? Ask God to shine the light on your life. There's some of us in here today, we're just hoping somebody doesn't turn the light on our secret sins. Oh, what would it do to us? What would it do to our reputations? Well, what's it doing to your heart already? Man, shine the light. 
Let God do the work in you. And you do the work in yourself. He says, listen, I'm with you and I will walk with you through it and you will find healing in me. I don't want you to be like it was in 2019 football season. We came uh, to Tallahassee to play Florida State. And uh, we, were, we were not really expected. Well, ULM, I'm just going to say it. If you're watching and you're from ULM, you know I love you. But we're not really usually ever expected to win, okay? But in 2019, we had a great quarterback. We had a really good uh, defense. Things were, things were kind of picking up for us as right before COVID changed all of that. But um, we come and we play Florida State. Now, Florida State was down that year, but who cares, you know? I mean, we're playing Florida State, all right? So to, so to just help those of you that don't care about football, here's what happened. We were able to dominate most of the game. And then in the fourth quarter, what, what typically happens after the half, you can go in at the half like we've played some teams in the SEC and gone in at the half and, and we're down 17 points. And for a lot of us, that's a win. I mean, you know, we're just down 17. Maybe, just maybe. And then the third quarter happens and it's over. Why? Because they have depth. They've been doing the same things we've been doing, but they have better athletes. They have better facilities. They have better programs. They have better they just, it's just better. So if you're going to beat them and you can, you've got to be hitting on all cylinders. Your split second decisions have to be on point. Everybody, not just one person, but the whole team has to be on point. So we get into overtime against Florida State. This was going to be huge for our program. And the score is 44 to 43. And we take a timeout. We're, we're moving the ball down. It took us no time to score. They had scored. We scored. So we take a timeout. And the question is, do we go for two? Because we're able to, I mean, we're, we're, we are dominating in this game. If we go for two, we win. Or we can go for the kick and we can play the second overtime. Well, we were moving the ball so well that our coach said, this is too good. I mean, it's one of those games that, you know, they're going to put it on the wall at the building. You know, it's going to be up there forever the, the day we beat Florida State, right? So um, we go for the kick. And our kicker's a great kicker. I mean, he had been kicking all day. Been making them all day. But that split-second decision, I think most people on the sideline thought we were going to go for two and the win. So everybody looks at him. And says, we're kicking. He runs out on the field. I'm talking about split-second decisions. Runs out on the field. It's just an extra point. Many of you in here, we could line you up at a football field today without any ability in kicking, and you might could probably make an extra point, okay? It doesn't take an awful lot to be able to make an extra point. He missed it. But that's not the rest of the story. We lost the game. I mean, we were used to losing, but it was like, you know. So then it became, hey, we almost beat Florida State. It just doesn't have the same, the same kick to it. But here's, here's the thing. Next week, the next week, we went to Iowa State, and we're in pregame, and he goes out to warm up. And he is shanking the ball left and right, shanking it left and right. I thought he was kidding around. And I went to our special teams coordinator. I said, are you watching him? I'm not going to name him. Are you watching him, what he's doing? 
And he said, yeah, I'm going to go over and talk to him. I said, I think he's messed up. Well, lo and behold, that pregame, it was decided he would not kick again that year. He tried every week to try to get the job back from the punter. He couldn't do it. He had a mental block because he was hated. You can imagine. Why well, anybody want to be a kicker uh, at, a, at a Division I college? I mean, you have a lot of friends one day and a lot of enemies the next. He, I mean, everybody was on him. And because of that, the thing that he was able to do with no thought now had become something he couldn't do. So bad that he had to transfer to go to another school to even get the opportunity to kick again. And still to this day, he hadn't started as a kicker doing a field goal. Why did I tell you that story? Because I want to tell you, don't allow yourself to be sidelined by a setback. All of us have setbacks. And as you're, as you're looking at this passage, you have to be dealing with the fact that my attitude hadn't always been right. My circumstances, I, I need to change the way I'm thinking. I need to transform the way I'm living. Who in here doesn't need to do that? So I, I don't want you to be sidelined by a setback. There's people that come in and out of the church every week that feel they're disqualified because of something in their past. And I'm telling you, Paul is telling this church to wake up and to keep moving forward, that nothing has stopped. And even though I'm in jail, I'm still alive and I'm still writing and things are still happening no matter where you are no matter your circumstances you can still live for Jesus Christ and you still can be counted don't allow a setback to sideline you why because the bottom line is this my daily decisions my daily decisions determine the success or failure of my split second discipleship so friend I I want to challenge you as I'm challenging myself, change the way you think. All of us have things we need to work on about our attitude and our effort. You can ask God for help, but he's given you everything. You've seen that here in this passage. You can change the way you think. Transform the way you live. You can do it right now in this moment. And if you're here and you're a Christian, you have everything you need to do it. But if you're here and you're not, I want to tell you, you're in, you're in company of people that that Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is our problem. And, and we don't have to try really hard to get involved in it. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to figure it out. He knew you were going to need him. He demonstrated his love for you even while you're walking in sin to say, I'm going to send my son to the cross to take your place, to pay your penalty. So Romans 6.23 says that the wages of my sin is death. There is a payment for sin. If you're here and you're walking in sin right now, listen, a payment is coming due. And if you don't deal with it on this side of eternity, it's, it's, it's death, eternal separation from God. But, he says, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. He just loves us and he makes a way to give us this gift. So in Romans 10, 
It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's with your heart you believe and you're justified. It's with your mouth you confess and you're saved. In verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, today, I pray all across this room that, Lord, you will help us Help us to do business with you. Help us to look at our lives and just examine. Examine where we need to change, to to go to that film room, to, to get in the weight room and to see those things that are heavy loads for us and God to cast them at your feet. To know that you've given us everything we need to change the way we think and to transform the way we live. Lord, I pray for Christians all across this room to put off that old stuff today. Those that have been sidelined by setbacks, that they'll, they'll get back into their faith and they'll walk out onto the field of battle and they'll say, I'm ready, God. Equip me with the power of the Holy Spirit to keep moving forward. But Lord, we also pray for our friends here that, that have not received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Whether they're watching or they're here in this room, Lord, I pray that they'll hear your gospel say that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and Jesus has served as the substitute payment for our sin. And if we put our faith and trust in him, we can be saved and have his grace and mercy and forgiveness. So God, all across this room, we have decisions we need to make. Help us to be bold and courageous and to make them. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? If the Lord has spoken to you and you need to come to this altar and pray, come. If you need to sit right where you are and just take in what the Spirit's trying to tell you, do it. If you're looking for a place where you can grow your faith, where you can get plugged in and find encouragement and equipping, come. We would love to help you become a part of our family. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, but today the Lord is stirring in your heart as you heard the gospel, that you need him, will you come as the Spirit leads? You follow.